The following podcast is a member of the Pokecasters Network. Pokecasters Network, supporting Pokemon content creators, their shows, and the community of Pokemon fans. To find out more, check out pokecastersnetwork.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook. Welcome to the Pokepress Digest Podcast, a Pokemon news magazine show. Here you'll find some of the best content offered by our site. For more, visit us at pokepress.blogspot.com. In this episode, Anne from Pikachu Podcast drops in to help discuss the music of Pokemon Rumble. This WiiWare title is definitely meatier than My Pokemon Ranch in terms of gameplay, and we try to figure out the soundtrack follows suit. As usual, there's a gameplay discussion after the outro, where among other things we compare Rumble to Pokemon Unite. Thanks. Hi folks, Steven here. I'm on the phone with Anne from PKE Podcast. And we're continuing our Pokemon side game music discussion series with Pokemon Rumble, a WiiWare title. So just to give a little bit of a background on this, this is another Umbrella game, and in kind of a strange way, uh, everything else they would produce for the rest of their existence would be a variation on the Rumble concept. But it was released in 2009. See, in Japan it came out in June... And then North America and Europe, it came out in November of 2009, just a few days apart. It was a WiiWare game, so you had to buy it on the eShop, which I should say the Wii Shop. Uh, This is before the eShop on the 3DS and Wii U. That kind of means that you're kind of out of luck if you want to pick this up now. You're going to have to find like a Wii that already has it installed or a Wii U or something. Because that shop shut down, you know, I think, what, three or four or five years ago. But uh, let's start by going over our initial experience with this. Let's see. I think we sort of got a hint of this before it came out, that they were trying to do a more action-focused Pokemon game, uh, which led to some interesting articles. And then this game actually came out. I did pick it up when it came out and did play through the main game. I think I more or less liked it. It, uh, We'll talk more about the actual game mechanics towards the end. Maybe wasn't the most impressed with it. And um, you did do some digging to play it for this because you didn't quite have the same, uh, I don't know, archival <laughs> archive of games that I did. Did you remember hearing about this when it came out? I did, yeah. And like I actually thought I had played it at a con, but when I actually played it for real, like just this last month, I had no memory of anything I was seeing, so I must have confused it with another game. But yeah, I... Didn't didn't have it when it first came out, but I did hear a lot about it, some kind of mixed here or there reviews. But luckily, um, I used the used game store near me. Store near me has figured out that um, I'm basically just recycling a lot of these old games, so I can play them all in sequential order. So they've been very good about letting me know when new games that I'm looking for are coming in and trading out uh, the old Pokemon pinball for the new Pokemon pinball and the like. As long as I kind of hype it up to the other customers, so. Um, I've been very lucky and able to find a copy of this and some of the other games that we've been doing in this series to kind of make up for my childhood, collegehood uh, that apparently was very neglected on the Pokemon side of things. And yeah, a, a little curious there. I, I know you did find a Wii with with it installed or whatever. Is that how you got to it? I, or did you play like there's a 3DS game, Pokemon Rumble Blast, which is probably the closest in that subseries to this one. Uh, can you can you elaborate a bit, Anne? 
Um, no, my uh, sister, she has a Wii down in her where she lives in St. George. So I played that with her and I did find, I think, I, yeah, the 3D Rumble Blast as well. All right. Well, this being an Umbrella Pokemon game, it probably doesn't surprise you that the music was done by uh, Miki Obata, who we still are not sure if it's the same person who released a song in like the 60s or early 70s or something like that. Interestingly, in some places in the credits, it seems like it's Obata is spelled in all capital letters, so I'm not sure if that denotes anything. Um, but Miki apparently also did some design work for this game. Uh, and uh, I don't suppose you've, you've tracked down anything else, but uh, did you want to add anything there? <laughs> Nothing new on that front. I'm sorry, friends. <laughs> it's, it does seem like they've gotten promoted through their career since they're working on design as well as music. But other than that, I don't think I have a any more news on their identity. Yeah, yeah we're fairly certain that uh, a number of music credits from like the 90s up through um, the work done for Umbrella Pokemon games is the same person. We're just not sure about that earlier portion of the career. Now, as far as the overall style of the music for this game, well, it's not completely different from other Umbrella Pokemon games, but I would say, and I, I can't really put down a specific instrument set, because there's a little bit of variance there, but it's definitely more energetic than some of Umbrella's other stuff. Like, if you're comparing it to Hey You Pikachu and Pokemon Channel and, and certainly My Pokemon Ranch, the first two of those especially do have their moments of faster, more intense music. This one has a lot more of that. And would you say that's a fair description? Yeah, I say I that's fair. Yeah, it's I don't know. My thoughts on this are kind of back and forth, but I I yeah. <laughs> the other thing I kind of wanted to mention is that this game does have something of an interactive soundtrack. Uh when you're going through the main areas where you spend most of the game, each area has a base theme and then it swaps as soon as you encounter some adversary Pokémon. So there is a little bit of that structurally, and that'll come up in some of our song selections that we've done for this. As usual, we've each picked out three songs, and what were your choices? My choices were The Silent Forest, The Eternal Tower, and Terminal. Yeah, so the ones I picked were the Rocky Cave Battle theme, the Boss Battle theme, and uh, there's a Mewtwo theme. Yeah, spoiler alert, the boss of the uh, main game mode at the very end is Mewtwo. So, uh, this game is, there is some ordering to the, uh, what you encounter from the music, but like all the main areas you in each like level, each rank of the game, you can go through in pretty much any order you want. So we do have a little bit of flexibility here, but, and it looks like one of yours is up first. This is the terminal area. This is where you sort of go and you can select between the different areas of the game as well as some other functions that are available. Uh, what sort of made you pick this one? Well, one thing that kind of struck me about it as being a little unique and odd is like there's little motifs that almost sound like classical music, like Pachelbel's Canon, like da 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 da, kind of a rhythm to it, which almost seems really surprising when it kind of devolves back into the very hard four on four beat and the more, I don't know, what we consider as stereotypical game music, it would just have these little moments where it would break out and I felt like I was listening to something that evoked a little bit of that 
classical style rhythm of like Beethoven or Chopin or or like I say Pachelbel's canon and I just found that to be incredibly unique and and odd in a a small way on a, a soundtrack that I didn't feel was very unique and special overall so I definitely wanted to include that track. Well, I made some sort of different comparisons. I felt it was relatively peaceful compared to some of the mm. other tracks in the game. And I felt it was actually fairly in line with some of the like hub areas and some of the other Umbrella Pokemon games, particularly like the house in Hey You Pikachu mm. and in uh, Pokemon Channel. It was sort of in there. Maybe a little more energetic than what you got with each of those, <laughs> but... You can kind of tell it's kind of the main central area of the game, just comparing it like that. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I agree with you completely. And it definitely like suits the area it's in and kind of, again, feels kind of like this is our central area. This is where, you know, you come back to home base, kind of a feel to it. And like I said, it just has a little flavor to it that is was just the slightest bit surprising to me that... I don't want to say it didn't fit, but it's like it definitely like moments of the song like just kind of popped out and then seemed to be sucked back in, you know, just a very different, surprising way. All right. Well, I think we can go on to my first pick, which is the Rocky Cave battle theme. Now, I guess I should do a little explanation uh, of how these things work. We had mentioned earlier that each area has a base theme when nothing is going on and then as soon as you encounter you know wild pokemon it goes into this uh battle uh variant now each area of the six main types you go through does have its own battle theme although they do share some of the base themes which we'll talk about a bit later but i found the the rocky cave to be kind of interesting just because like, you know, when you go into a Pokemon game, uh, there's that stereotype. Whenever you go into a cave, you know, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be attacked by whatever uh, bat Pokemon, whether it's the Zubat line or the Woobat line or something like that in that cave or both, if they're both in that game. And uh, the the instrumentation and whatnot here definitely gave me an attacked from above like, you're not entirely sure what's uh, going on there. Like, you can't exactly tell because it's a dark cave and stuff. And that was one of the things I definitely noticed there. It has a bit of an ethereal vibe, I would say. Anne, uh, wh- what did you notice about this one? Yeah, it's just got this very eerie feel to it. And, like, again, you're never quite sure what's going to happen. You'd have to eat your head on a swivel. And then kind of the Rocky Cave battle portion gets really energetic, like, so, like, I I feel they did that really well, um, of all the areas, this one kind of very much evokes a sense of the place that you're in. Yeah, there's definitely a heavy echo in this one, Mm -hmm. which obviously caves are well known for, since they have so many, you know, hard surfaces for sound to reflect off of. There's some reverb on pretty much all the music in, in this game, but this one is particularly noticeable if you listen to it. All right, well, let's go on to one of these. uh, As we kind of mentioned, there's a base theme that's in each area, although many of them are shared. And you picked the Silent Forest theme, which the fact that it has music at all is kind of goes against the the track theme. This this is also the base theme for the Bright Beach and the Windy Prairie. But what sort of caught your attention here? Um, As you say, like, it's not 
really quiet. It, I thought that would be a good talking point. Like when I heard the music, it didn't sound like a forest. It didn't sound silent, you know, quiet in any way to me. So I, I actually had to like go back and look at the Japanese original name for that area to see if like there was a mistranslation. But no, it's it's Shizuka. She's she's no mori. So um but knowing that, you know, it's also used for the windy beach and stuff, now it makes a little more sense. But like, yeah, it's I won't say it's an energetic track, but to me it felt very loud and in your face. And what I would give for it as being a silent forest is it does feel a little less full. It feels like I don't know, there's less instruments playing, maybe less reverb even um in some parts um so it kind of just feels a little more stripped down than some of the other tracks but overall i felt like that was a weird choice like it just again felt very loud and forceful rather than kind of laid back and you know wind blowing through the trees which is the choice that i i think i would have gone with first if it were me but if this track serves many purposes then i can see it kind of being like you know an outside of the city but still fun kind of location soundtrack maybe yeah the words i put down for this were first of all happy go lucky mm. <laughs> works i think a little maybe a little better with the the beat variant making it makes a little more sense there and then there's a driving beat, so maybe it's almost like you're taking a, a, a Jeep-like vehicle uh, through the, the forest here or whatever, or, you know, a dune buggy or something if it's the, the beach area. So yeah, definitely fairly energetic there. Uh, still not quite up there with the uh, battle theme for each of those areas. Right. Anything else you wanted to sort of uh, call out about this? Um, I do find, again, a lot of interesting musical choices in this just again in that it seems to juxtapose but when I was playing the game itself I didn't notice like it felt it felt in line with my own anticipation of running through the area so in that sense I think it did its job okay well let's move on to my second pick then which is the boss battle now one thing we've kind of not really mentioned yet is that the sort of conceit of this game is that all the Pokemon, uh, we, we, the models are all taken from my Pokemon rant, so they're very simplistic, but they're sort of explained as being actual, like, toy Pokemon out there. And uh, that's kind of important for the boss battle, because uh, your Pokemon have this thing called a Wonder Key, which is what winds them up and lets you start using them. And when you get to the boss battle, well, it's, uh, uh, like, anytime you go through one of the, the main area types, at the end, you, you get to this um, sort of open area, and uh, there's this larger-than-normal Pokemon. I, I saw some folks joke that this game invented Dynamax. Uh, it starts getting wound up, and then this me and this music plays at the same time. And um, you know, there's sort of an ominous buildup that you're, you know, obviously about to fight a boss, which is you know not an uncommon choice. But combined with the winding, it, it gives it a. I, the other kind of phrase I came up with was "monster coming to life." And uh, I, I guess I, I caught your attention there. Uh, what was your sort of take on it? Um, well, I just found Monster Coming to Life a really an interesting way to describe it because I hadn't thought of it that way, but that really does seem to fit. Yeah, my main note on this is kind of it sort of gives me um, early red-blue boss battle type vibes. So it, it kind of has a, a very typical and expected but nostalgic kind of quality to it for me. 
Yeah, I, I guess that's relatively fair. Now, as it moves on and the music gets, well, it has uh, you know a few sections. It's not a hugely long piece or anything like that, but it, it does go into, I think, what I would like to call sort of a chaotic darting because this boss Pokemon, who has a few underlings that will periodically spawn around it, usually from a lower evolution stage, um, but the boss Pokemon will dart around the area sort of chasing you trying to get to you, and it has a, a few attacks in addition to, like, its regular attacks that it can use. I don't know, Anne, if you, did you get that sort of movement quality to parts of the song? Just that, again, it, it fits what it's trying to do. I really like how it kind of enhances um, the music of the area that's already there, and then you find the boss, and it, like, it still fits the area. It just kind of heightens your experience, I guess rather than, like, a, a track that feels that it doesn't belong. And then, kind of the other thing I wanted to mention, this track has a distortion guitar, and I put down the word clean, which is sort of a contradiction in terms, because clean is actually supposed to refer to acoustic guitar. But what I really mean is the guitar in this track could be a little more, I don't know, grungier is the right word, but it could be a little more, not sloppy, but, and do you kind of get what I'm saying there? I do, yeah. Like, there is a distortion to it, but not enough. It, it almost sounds more like it was plugged directly into the, <laughs> the, rather than running through the amp kind of a thing. And kind of given this area and that it's a boss, I, I agree, you could go a little looser. You could distort it more. You could kind of give it more gravel and edge. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I... I don't want to, you know, sound like I, I I baited you into a trap there, but I was also thinking that maybe if they did do that, this would come across as a little more sinister and maybe scary. I'm not oh. sure uh, than they Rather wanted. Rather than fun playtime. Yeah, so I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of some of the stuff in like the uh, some of the dreams uh, games. I meant to say nights into dreams here, especially like the the remake or spiritual successor or whatever it was that was released back in the Wii era. Um, that has uh, some of the songs there have a bit more of a darker guitar or and other parts in there, and that's not quite what they did here. That's true. Very few tracks on this um, on this game like hit a lot of the the darker notes. So it could be, yeah, like this is just a way of kind of like keeping keeping our theme going. Like uh, again, it's different, but we don't want it to be like you know just going right off the path into. <laughs> Um, something that might be more in place in another game. All right, well, I think we've covered that one. Let's go on to Anne's third pick, which is the Eternal Tower bass theme. Now, like we mentioned with the other bass theme, this one is used in three of the six uh, sort of adventure areas. It's also used in the Rocky Cave and the Fiery Furnace as the non-battling theme. And... Um, I can think of a few reasons for for picking this. Why don't you tell us what uh, <laughs> got you interested? Yeah, um, there's kind of a, it, in some ways it really fits. Like I feel like it kind of takes kind of more of a minor key tone-ish, not necessarily a dark tone, but like a lot less bright and happy, which kind of adds some weight and some seriousness to the thought of an eternal tower. In that way, I thought it fit. There's something, I really like the chords. It feels very like piano, improvisational piano kind of club sounding chords, which is kind of an interesting choice to take. And then it with the kind of straight beat, like 
It almost seems a little bit dancey even. So like, I, I just thought there were a lot of really interesting little notes of things that all added together to make a track that I felt conveyed a different tone than the other two that I picked. Um, it, it, But yet it still kind of carried that sense of energy for the kind of rumble style gameplay that you're doing. But it, it felt a little more laid back in that sense. Yeah, it it as compared to the other bass theme for the other three areas, uh, this one has more of an ominous feel to it, which I think is more fitting for the various areas that it's assigned to. Mm-hmm. And that kind of the overarching little melody, like almost descanty melody, is is almost eerie in a way with like all the other instrumentation. So I I just really liked that aspect of it. Yeah, and I also, it gives you a bit more of a foreboding feel, like you know you're going to run into something. <laughs> right. Versus kind of the other places where it starts with a fairly cheerful mix, and then, you know, it's into the action there. <laughs> you wouldn't hire just any band to do a song based on the legend from Pokemon 2000, as not many acts would have the talent to give it just the right balance of seriousness and humor. Thankfully, the B-52s were willing and able to provide their services for the soundtrack. Sure, the chosen one might not be as off the wall as Rock Lobster, but it does capture the sense of fun the band is known for, and with its surf rock influence, it fits in nicely with the movie's tropical island setting. If you want to draw parallels to the characters of the movie, well, Fred's voice does remind me of the island elder, and Kate and Cindy could represent Melody but it's more likely you would simply attribute it to a musical group performing during the festival. I suppose that's an idea if this movie ever gets a remake. In any case, do you think they made the right decision tapping this group for this song? Be sure to let us know. Thanks. Alright, well, let's go ahead and move on to my third pick, which is the Mewtwo theme, so... Sort of the structure of this game, we'll go more into it in our game discussion probably, is that um, there's various ranks like C, B, A, and S in the main game. And uh, sort of the the loop is that once you get a Pokemon uh, that is powerful enough, you get to take on the Battle Royale. And when you finally get to the S rank, at the very end of that Battle Royale, um, you know, you go through a bunch of regular Pokemon, then uh, they spawn, like, I think the fully evolved starters as well as the legendary birds. And at the very end, you know, Mewtwo pops out. Again, this is all in its, you know, My Pokemon Ranch low-poly model form. And uh, the music changes. And from what I can tell, this is based on the battle theme, or, or one of the wild Pokemon battle themes. I think there might only be one in the original games. But there's all these sorts of, like, drums and other stuff layered on top of it. Um, and I don't know if you got to this point in any of your playthroughs there, but uh, what are your kind of observations? I did not in any of my playthroughs, but my observation is, like, they remixed the heck out of this song. Like, there is so much happening, and it feels like every couple bars almost, like, it changes, and it, there's a different spin on that original theme. It there's so much happening in this track. This this track is kind of the, I don't know, the most unique, I think, of all of them. Yeah, honestly, it reminds me a lot of, um, like, the Fire Red Leaf Green soundtrack, which you you can buy on iTunes and stuff like that. 
um, has a couple remixes, and this reminds me of of some of those. Um, so I think there really is a comparison here. It's not something that's totally uh, different. And I think the even the original like red and green soundtrack has some bonus tracks that are not completely dissimilar to what you find here. Definitely feels like a good way to sort of cap off uh, that that playthrough there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very exciting kind of track, and like it feels like it never really settles either. Like, like it, there's so many new things happening, and like uh, changes to the old familiar melody that you're used to. That you, like you, it feels like you can never really kind of lay back, <laughs> which is interesting. Well, it is the final boss, and yeah, it does not stop until either you defeat Mewtwo, uh, which I guess technically you don't have to defeat it last, but realistically that's what's going to happen, because there are other Pokemon that spawn at the same time that you could theoretically defeat later, but Mewtwo just has so much more health. But it, it makes that last portion of the, I guess you can call it a story, very memorable. All right, well, let's sort of talk about our overall opinion, then, of the soundtrack here. And it sounds like you liked this soundtrack, but maybe didn't love it as much as some of the other side games or some of the other Umbrella games. Um, Did you want to sort of uh, explain that here? I think that's fair. Like, but did not love. I, I felt like where maybe previous Umbrella games had a bit more... Um, variety. Like, I feel like that I've criticized them for not having enough on some of the, their other games, but I feel like this one, it felt even more compressed in terms of, I don't know, tone and variety and like highs and lows and all those things. I, I feel like the Mewtwo track was the one that like really was something unique and exceptional um, within the soundtrack. And even that, like, Mm. So it's like, again, I liked it, did not love it. I, I will say that when I was actually playing it, I didn't much care about the music. Like it was, it did its job very well. It got me hyped. It got me into it. But I didn't, like, it wasn't something that I focused on a lot. It was, it was background noise music. And I don't think that's necessarily a terrible thing for this type of game. Um, so... I think I wanted more from the soundtrack when I'm listening to it like this, kind of in isolation. But when I was playing it, I didn't mind in the slightest. So I think that's going to temper my disappointment and my, you know, didn't love it sort of feelings. But I, I definitely liked it. There is there is definitely like a, an overarching vision, I suppose, to this soundtrack that they stuck to um, and not a lot of sense of like they just did whatever. So I, I have to give them that. Yeah, I, I guess I can kind of understand that. I think I like it, <laughs> like this one a little more than you did. As far as like the the lack of variety, uh, we'll talk a bit about this in the game discussion. But WiiWare has a pretty, or I should say, had a pretty tight size limit to what mm. you can actually put in there in terms of space. I think they it was like forty megabytes, which especially towards the later part of the Wii life cycle was a a real hindrance. Um, I mean, there wasn't a ton of space on the Wii anyway. Um, they eventually let you put stuff on an SD card, but that maybe explain why the musical variety, like even the Pokemon Rumble Blast, I think it has some of the same areas, but I think they added not just stuff for like the 
uh, hub world and and things other things you would expect in some of the new features there, but actually some of the existing areas may have gotten a bit more music there on uh, Rumble Blast for the 3DS. But uh, personally, I enjoyed. You know, I, I guess I can kind of agree that it is a little thin in terms of selection in places. Uh, it's not a not not the smallest soundtrack, uh, but. Um, I kind of enjoy it. If I had like a fourth pick for this, one I wanted to pick was the beach, the Bright Beach Battle theme, which changes into this steel drum thing. We've, we've had steel drums in some of the, the beach areas before in Umbrella games. This one has a bit more of a panic quality, like someone just spotted a shark in the water and everyone has to get out or something like that. So I think I, I must have appreciated this more. I'm not going to say it's the absolute best one out there, but I did definitely uh, enjoy it a fair bit. All right, well, with the the music of the game out of the way, we do have uh, some feedback to go over, as usual. Remember, if you have comments on this or any of our other discussions, you can always drop us an email, pokepress at gmail.com. You can uh, put a comment on one of these videos. And uh, you can also find uh, us on Twitter, at PokePress. But in any case, there's a couple recent videos, at least when we recorded this, that I wanted to go over. All right, so first off, we have Michael Hagney discusses localizing early seasons of Pokemon. So Michael Hagney, uh, he calls what he does adaption, but uh, adapter sounds like a, a an actual device, not a person, so I try to I use the term localizer. But in any case, um, I did an interview with him. He's got his own podcast, by the way, called uh, Original Pokemon. But he sort of talked about sort of his career uh, in the entertainment industry, how he ended up on Pokemon, um, and stuff like that. Um, so I got a couple comments on there. One of them is from Blue Baron. Uh, is it easy to schedule an interview with him? He is so knowledgeable. I'm glad he touched a bit on his other video game anime dub work. Yes, uh, Michael also worked on, uh, addition to a little bit of Yu-Gi-Oh stuff, but also Sonic X uh, during the brief time that the F-Zero anime was being dubbed, he worked on some of that. Um, but in reply to Blue Baron, I just said, give it a shot. Now, my personal experience, um, you know, like, people say the worst thing they can say is no, but really the most common response is I just, you know, don't get anything back. Maybe it's, sometimes it's because they may not be interested. Other times it may be because I found a contact email or whatever that's out of date or whatever, and it never gets processed. But um, you do have to, you know, take those little chances there, and you might get surprised. You might get something. So uh, on top of that, we have uh, GDD033, which is just, um, you know, I don't want to diminish it too much, but it is a very, very much a compliment. Uh, such quality, uh, such good interviews on here. Uh, thanks. <laughs> Flattered. And I didn't know, uh, first of all, have you, this was on the podcast feed as well as on the YouTube channel. Have you had a chance to listen to this interview? Yeah, yeah, I watched it on YouTube. Um Really glad you got it. Um, like since I I remember when I was very young and like I always got the Pokemon DVDs so I could have the commentary. Like I always found um what Michael and Norman had to say like to be very interesting to me at that young age. Kind of trying to figure out how Pokemon worked behind the scenes, and I always felt that the that Michael Hagney like really I don't know got Pokemon in a way that a lot of other adults didn't talk about Pokemon. Um, and I very much appreciated him for that. Like, he kind of got why we loved it, um, the story and the show and the games, outside of just, like, you know, catch all the Pokemon. And so I, I'm really glad you got this interview with him. He, like, he seems like he has a, kind of just a, a nice perspective on his time there. Any particular parts or things he shared that you thought were interesting? 
Well, I, I found it really fascinating that, like, when they got the script and the materials over, that they came on VHS. Like, I don't know why that surprises me. It was the 90s. But I don't know. In the back of my mind, I suppose I thought that like these are these are professional companies. Surely they're up with the latest technology. Um, and it's like no, they sent it over on a freaking VHS, <laughs> like with time codes. I just found that very interesting. Um, and it just kind of reminded me like the world has changed so much. <laughs> like, yeah, technically in like '98, the most modern thing he could technically have access to it would probably be either. Like a, a modern Betacam, uh, which is different from Betamax tape. This was the professional version. Or like the DV standard. You may remember those early 2000s camcorders that took very small cassettes but were digital that I think technically existed there. But I'm guessing whatever mm. facility they were that he was working from, whether it was his home or a small studio or whatever, um, you know, VHS was kind of the lowest common denominator, so they definitely knew it worked. Uh, made some things kind of hard to pick out because, uh, you know, VHS not the most high-fidelity standard. It, it was okay in the 80s and 90s, but, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it did the job. I also really liked that you were able to talk with him a bit on kind of, I guess, the controversy around some of the localization and adaptation work they were doing because I feel like especially now the more we look back – there's a lot of criticism and it is a bit problematic, but I think it's also important to recognize that like we were living in a very different cultural landscape back in that time. And as I said, like I have always felt that those guys understood the spiritual translation of the show in a way that was important. And, and I really don't think we would have Pokemon and, and anime in general as big as it was, if it weren't not for the companies like Four Kids and the people doing Sailor Moon and the like, um, making an effort to translate those, um, not just the words, but what we were seeing into a way that made sense to Americans in the 90s, in a way that now you don't have to do and should not do. I, I, I don't know. I just feel like that's like such a can of worms, but it is important to look at it through the lens that is not 2022. And so I really am glad that you were kind of able to get some of his thoughts on that. I suppose I'm kind of in the camp. Like if like, there's always this discussion, Hey, they should go back and release like Mm. uh, directly subtitled versions of the original series and even the modern series. And to be quite honest, where there is obviously a contingent that would find that interesting. I think to most folks, that like hearing some of this stuff through uh, a podcast like Original Pokemon that uh, uh, Michael does or reading through a list there is probably actually good enough for them. I think proportionally, well, there is a market for those types of things. It is not a huge percentage. Um, I think it's one of those things that social media, like I said, I don't want to, you know, especially if you're not being super belligerent about it, I don't want to put you down for wanting to hear that. But I just don't think it's uh, proportionally that large uh, percentage of the market. Yeah, and in less. Yeah, and I kind of come at it like less of per- the percentage of the market and more of just like it is definitely a conversation that needs to keep happening. And it would have been great if we had been able to have a discussion like that back in the day. I definitely think there are aspects of the adaptation that should have been done differently. But also, I'm. I'm not Japanese, so um, I am also 
not necessarily culturally equipped to make those decisions. Um, but I do think a lot of people um, kind of throw a blanket opinion over the whole issue. And I feel like it's a lot more nuanced than that. And I, I do feel that being able to talk to him about how he feels and and like what the pressures were at the time and the like kind of gives us a more nuanced um, picture of what the job was and what the job can be going forward in, ad in adapting anime that I think makes for a better discussion and probably a better result than if we just say, like, I hate everything you did. Everything you did was awful and wrong and it should only be this. If it does that make sense? <laughs> I think a fair bit. Like I said, it's just that <laughs> I'm always cautious when you hear discussions about stuff like, oh, in the modern dub, why do they keep changing the music and and why isn't it available, you know, day and date and all that stuff. I don't want to completely discount that. Those would, for the most part, be nice to haves, you know, at the very least an alternate audio or subtitle track. I just, you know, because the show is targeted at uh, an audience that is generally not old enough to be on social media or the internet in general, I think that we get a little bit of a distorted picture there. Like I said, I don't have the hard numbers like, you know, back with uh, Sword and Shield where there was so much criticism of them not having all the Pokemon and then they sell like hotcakes anyway. I don't I don't have hard numbers like that. I just suspect that um, there's been some some internal research done and part of the reason we haven't seen versions of the TV show be released from like the early seasons with a direct subtitle track or whatever. And, and the reasons there are still changes in the modern one just kind of boils down to a fair bit of probably market research and other stuff like that. Um, not to totally discount folks who want to have a, a more direct version available. It's just, I, I think the picture is, looks a little bit different than what you see out there. So like I said, not intended as an insult or anything, but you know, I really like what you said, like a distorted picture. Like I said, I, I kind of feel that sometimes we don't always see what's going on in the background. We don't consider everything. And I don't know what we want to see, whether it's the popular opinion or not. Like we don't always acknowledge that there is a very big difference between a licensing issue and erasing Japanese culture. Um, and the, like, there's a very big difference between just getting it released in subtitles and the fact that the small children who watch the show can't read um, and like, you know, market research and all these things. So I, I really like you acknowledging that we sometimes have a distorted picture of it and being able to get interviews like this with the people who created it kind of helps us to get a a bigger picture rather than just our little world of like what I personally want from my fandom. All right. Well, we certainly got a lot out of that one. Uh, if you have not <laughs> checked out that interview, like I said, either check it out on the YouTube channel or by the time this discussion gets on the podcast feed, you'll go back probably three or four episodes to listen to that. All right. Well, every month, pretty much, I try to do a recap for Pokemon Go Community Day. And uh, in September, it was Roggenrola, a uh, Gen 5 Pokemon, of course, you know. One of the comments we got, uh, DDD033, likes the new uh, Professor design, uh, thinks uh, it shows uh, Professor Willow as a little bit older. I do have up here, if you're watching this live, a picture of the old one. What basically happened earlier this year, Pokemon Go maybe doesn't have the deepest story, being a mobile game and whatnot, but at some point over the summer, Professor Willow, I guess he got 
pulled into like a an ultra wormhole or something and was gone for a little while. We had this other this other character who was sort of running these communities and other events coming in the game. And now that Professor Willow is back, yeah, he's changed his hair a bit, uh, his clothing, um, and uh, his face looks a little bit different, although I just kind of have different poses here or whatever. I don't know, Anne, you're not the biggest Pokemon Go player. We kind of know that, but um, any thoughts on what we see here? I mean, we all change with age. I've changed a great deal um, in my face over the course of just doing these this series. The, the man's entitled to change his haircut and do a little CrossFit and, you know, just <laughs> uh, change up his look a bit. And I think I think it's great. <laughs> He looks good in both of them. He looks he looks like your old wizened professor. All right. Well, like I said, if you have comments on this or anything else, uh, you can always drop us an email, pokebrest at gmail.com, at pokebrest on Twitter, or just drop a comment on a video like uh, some of the folks here have. All right. So our next episode. Well, if we were in any other territory, we, we would go in North American release order. If we were any other territory in the world, our next game would have been Poke Park Wii, Pikachu's Adventure, but because we're going in North American order, for whatever reason, they had the game sequenced a little bit differently, and our next game is Pokemon Ranger Guardian Signs. So this is the third and final Pokemon Ranger game. To be honest, uh, I don't know, the music very much follows from the prior games in that subseries, although it does do a few new things there. And you, you had mentioned sort of the used game stuff you did before. Is this another one you're going to have to track down? I think so. I, I Again, my, my local game shop knows that I'm doing this, and they know that this is one of the ones I don't, I've never played. So I'm hoping that <laughs> they, they know who to call <laughs> and to, to help me track one down. <laughs> Until then, Anne, thank you very much for being on. Thank you for having me. This has been Stephen Reich. All right, folks, thanks. Thanks for listening to the PokePress Digest podcast. We'd appreciate if you rate or review us on your podcast app of choice. If you'd like to find more of our great content, visit our website at pokepress.blogspot.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to pokepress at gmail.com or follow at pokepress on Twitter. Okay, so we talked about the music, but Pokemon Rumble, you know, certainly as compared to my Pokemon Ranch, you can definitely call it a, a proper game. But I want to talk about some of the mechanical stuff in there. Now, we we had mentioned that this game was the output of Umbrella for the rest of their existence until they got folded in to um, uh, creatures in like 2019 or 2020 or whatever it was when the uh, uh, Rumble World or Rumble Rush, I think it was Rumble Rush was the mobile game, got uh, discontinued. And uh, there is another game that came out that I feel kind of replaces this. Uh, you, know, you know, the main action of Pokemon Rumble is you're going through uh, using moves very quickly and sort of making it to the end. Um, but sort of a, it's more of a real-time thing. And there is a, a real-time Pokemon combat game that came out, I guess, well, it was 2021. It's uh, Pokemon Unite. Now, Anne, I don't know if you got a chance to play that. I did play it when it came out, but... Um, to be quite honest, I played like five or six games of that, and although I won like almost all but one or two of them, Pokemon Unite, I don't know, it didn't really grab me because part of those games were so lopsided. And have you had a chance to try out Pokemon Unite? I hope you at least got to see some footage or whatever. 
I've not played. I The more I watch, the more I'm convinced I wouldn't be very good at it. But I do love watching it, actually. And I, I love love watching the gameplay. There's something very calming about it. The people who are good at it are good. And I, I actually really love the YouTube videos where people like commentate the matches like it's a sporting thing or like do the little clip 30 second clips of like here's where a zoomerill is gonna take out your kneecaps and like i don't know i feel like there's a lot of potential for fun in pokemon unite even if you're not a player um but i've not played it so maybe i would feel a different frustration if i if i did and was not good at it all right well structurally the games are, are pretty different yes there is technically a multiplayer mode in pokemon rumble but uh it, it Pokemon Unite is a you know a team versus team, but I just find that the pacing and action style where you're controlling a Pokemon directly and trying to go around an environment and attacking other Pokemon and stuff like that, that's a definite similarity. And uh, I do kind of wonder if that game is filling the void left by, by Pokemon Rumble. Um, I To be honest, I never... I, there was some... You know, I did see a little bit of, of Pokemon Unite last month uh, in August at the Pokemon World Championships in London, because obviously they they had like five different championship like events going on at Worlds last month. So uh, Unite was definitely one of them. So we'll kind of see where that goes. But I just kind of wanted to compare, because I do feel, despite them being objectively, and when I say objectively, I mean in terms of the game objective, different games with different things you're trying to do, the actual action has some definite similarities. I don't know. Anne, what are your thoughts there? I would say that, like, both the action and, like, visually, they one seems like the natural evolution of the other. So I would not be surprised if there was some inspiration going into that. It definitely feels like a spiritual sequel to Rumble, if not, like, a direct yeah, I'm not sure exactly what prompted Unite if they what kind of, you know, marching orders they gave the developer and whatnot there. Uh, but going back to sort of Rumble, it is sort of a little bit, I guess you could say, stripped down from the normal Pokemon games. Each Pokemon has at most two moves. And uh, you know, once you get a Pokemon, you know, you the main way you befriend them is you'll knock out a, an enemy Pokemon on the map and instead of turning into the currency of the game. It'll it'll fall down and you can touch it to pick it up and it goes into your inventory of of basically Pokemon toys, um, but then you're just kind of stuck. You can have it learn new moves, but you can't actually like increase its stats in any way. And, and did that bother you? Did that seem weird or? Yeah, right from the get go. Like, it was like, this Pokemon isn't strong enough. You're going to need a stronger Pokemon. You need to go find a stronger Pokemon. And that kind of struck me as really odd because, like, like a lot of the Pokemon, like, mythos and theming is kind of like, all of them can be champions. All of them can be important and precious. So it kind of, like, e even though... It's a lot of work uh, as someone who trained a team of six Magikarps to take on the Elite Four. Some Pokemon require more work, but the conceit of the games is that if, if your Magikarp wants to be a champion, it absolutely can. So it kind of struck me that the game like explicitly is like, oh no, this little, this little Pokemon isn't strong enough. You need to go find like a Bulbasaur or whatever. Felt out of brand. Yeah, it is uh, a major difference from other games where you typically 
trade up. Um, I should point out, you know, in, in regular Pokemon games, there's usually an evolution mechanic, and it kind of exists in this side series. I think the way it works is you actually have to release a bunch of a base Pokemon form uh, through the like the the release point or whatever it is, and if you do enough of them, you will get back its evolved form with I think, think the strength of whatever the weakest one you sent out there is. So maybe not the most useful thing either. So basically, you're just sort of trying to get more and more powerful Pokemon. Like even in in stuff like Pokemon Go, you can um, train up your Pokemon. Yes, it has some sort of ceiling on where it can go there, but you can you know give it use Stardust and Candy to power that up. Here, you're just well, you got what you got there, and uh, later in the game, you're gonna put it aside for something new and yeah bit of an odd motif there maybe that's another reason why these are toys rather than uh described as like real pokemon because that i was wondering when we would talk about that why are they toys <laughs> i don't understand are like was it was there at that time like just a lot of discussion on like the old pokemon encourages cockfighting argument or something like they didn't want to do a battle royale with actual sentient creatures i'm not sure if I it don't. gave it a lighter tone that <laughs> way or, or or what but i mean this as i recall this is a one of the first pokemon games to ever be rated higher than an e on the esr b system which had a a new e10 and up rating i think uh, the other one that happened there i believe is actually uh we'll get to it eventually but Pokemon tournament also has a, a bit of a higher rating than these games in this series normally get it kind of they do flesh it out, like I said, with the uh, the Wonder Gear or whatever it's called, the little crank thing that uh, you know winds up the the boss Pokemon. But also, when you put a new Pokemon in there, you'll hear that little cranking noise or turning noise, and then your Pokemon goes in there. Yeah, it's just a lot of little things like that in this game. Like they're toys you you have to you have to trade them for a a stronger quote Pokemon um, in order to move up the game. Like a lot of little things like that, like are so tiny and yet like for some reason deeply offend me on a spiritual level um but i do have to say the game was fun to play regardless but like there's a like little parts of me is just like i can't let that go why <laughs> why <laughs> right, well another thing i wanted to make sure we talked about this initial entry we said the models were pulled from my pokemon ranch which used this these super simplified models in that game, very low poly, because, of course, you had to have, you know, potentially upwards of a thousand in there, and this one uses the same models, um, which may also play into the toy aspect of some sort, I suppose. But uh, if you play through this game, you'll notice, so in the first loop of the game, where you're going through the difficulties there, everything is from Gen 1, and then once you beat Mewtwo, you get to unlock the advanced mode, I think is what it's called. And when you go through the advanced mode, you actually do see some Gen 4 Pokemon. But if you're looking for anything from Gen 2 or Gen 3, it's not in here. And people have done some uh, looking into it. And it looks like there were plans um, or some evidence that they probably wanted to. And they may have just, uh, going back to that WiiWare file size limit, they may have hit a wall there. And is that something you noticed when you were playing through the uh, main game? Or did you, did you not get that far? Um, like, I didn't make it far enough to beat the game. I did notice that, like, it seemed very concentrated on, like, the original 150. And I kind of assumed, again, that that was a space issue, because by Gen 4, we're kind of getting into the point where it's hard to include every single Pokemon in any of the games. Um, so I, that 
like I would say I noticed, but I didn't think too deeply on it. Uh, as for like the low poly, um, I, I again I noticed that, but being that all the Pokemon were toys, like it kind of seemed to fit. So that's one place where the conceit of the game really worked in its favor that they could they didn't need such an elaborate three D rendering. So yeah, but it, it also gives you some weird evolution lines. You mentioned that you could. <laughs> release like i think it's like seven or eight of the same species and get evolution that way but that means that you get stuff like if you do a bunch of porygon you don't get a porygon too you get a porygon z right now now, other evolution lines were fortunate enough like the the magnemite magneton magnezone those are all gen one or gen four so those all got in here same thing with like tangela and tangrowth um Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but uh if you get into the advanced part where they have the fourth gen, you can get a Honchkrow, but uh, you're not getting a Murkrow. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the other stuff. And, you know, definitely you're not going to find a Magby or an Elekid in there. Um, now, I do think that when they get to Pokemon Rumble Blast for the 3DS, first of all, I believe that is a Gen 5 game. Uh, it should be based on the chronology there. And thus it has the, the Gen 5 Pokemon. I believe it also adds in the stuff from Gen 2 and Gen 3. So it's a bit of an odd omission. <laughs> now, the other thing I kind of want to mention, the, the graphical fidelity of this game, I mean, it's on the Wii, which is a step up from the GameCube to some degree. And I'm not sure, I, I felt like there were some p- parts where there was slowdown. Now, I'm not entirely sure if that was for dramatic effect or if it really was a performance issue, which seems very odd given the low-poly models in there. Like, I, I know sometimes, especially like when I would knock out a Pokemon, and instead of getting the money, I would they would uh, drop as a collectible toy that you could later use to, to battle with. It seemed like things slowed down. I don't know if that was, like I said, a, an actual performance issue or, or dramatic effect or stuff like that, but I don't know. Anne, what did you think of the sort of the, the fidelity of this game? It obviously does go for sort of a minimalist art style, mm-hmm. but I, how, did, how successful do you think that is? I mean... Like, I think we always want more fidelity, better rendering, more detail. So, I, like, I think we just always want more. So, in that sense, yeah. I, I will say, like, playing it on my sister's TV, which is, like, really nice and kind of high-res, it, like, things did look a little weird. I didn't notice anything that felt like a performance issue, but it, it's kind of hard to say. Like, again, just with everything being very minimalistic and simplistic in that way, like, it didn't feel super high-end or anything. But again, it, for what what is a very simple game, I didn't think too much on it. It it, it was what it was. I'd be curious to know what kind of hookup you had for the Wii there. Um, um, if, you have, if you have this on the Wii U, you can use it in backwards compatibility mode using HDMI, so that solves a lot of things there. But if you're on the Wii, you have a couple options. I don't know if you you can tell. I fr- didn't check the back of the. <laughs> I didn't check the back of the hookups. <laughs> Sorry, I did not do my due diligence and research. Yeah, well, I'm sure you know not not super broken up about that, but I was just kind of curious. <laughs> yeah, no that that would be a, an interesting thing to know. I next time. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I'll admit the the gameplay itself is a little bit on the mindless side. Uh, it's interesting. You look at some of the speedruns of this, you, you can actually skip most of the Pokemon out there and uh, just race to the end of each stage, battle the boss. And, you know, I think at a certain point, like, it will drop stuff or whatever. Um, 
I don't know what that says about it, but I, I usually play it, you know, trying to get uh, as many Pokemon as I can, which means, you know, battling all of them. I don't know. Anne, did you kind of just, like, work your way around some of the Pokemon, or did you sort of battle through everything? Um, I can't remember any that, like, I wouldn't face. Um, I kind of did a lot of grinding in some of the earlier sections and kind of visited Silent Forest a lot, but, like, trying to get better and better Pokemon, basically. Yeah, no, I I don't think I really worked around. I think I kind of just in my button mash, very poor gamer way, just, like, hit every obstacle and every Pokemon <laughs> just as it came to me. All right, well... I mean, how would you kind of rate this game then overall compared to some of the other side games? Like, if, if you, you had been asked to purchase this, like I said, for 1500 Wii Points, which is basically $15 in 2009, <laughs> do you think you would have done that, or? Um, you know, if it was Wii Points and not money, yeah, I absolutely would. I kind of rank it, like, with a on the level of a pinball game. Like in the sense that it's kind, of, it's very relaxing and like enjoyable in that sense. It kind of you're just kind of rolling around and kind of just attacking and attacking. It doesn't have a ton of like replay value in the sense of like there's not a like a, a story or anything. But in that same sense of like the way Pokemon Conquest was, or or um, pinball kind of almost like a Tetris where you're doing the same thing over and over and just trying to get better at it. It is a fun little game to have around. So I think I think I would purchase this one. Yeah, I think I definitely see where it is lacking compared to other games I play, but I can also see myself like going back to this game every so often and just kind of playing through it again. Well, just to sort of divulge here, yeah, 1,500 Wii Points is $15, and I don't regret my purchase there. I think, granted, I think some of the other later games were, like, I think Rumble Blast was, I don't know if it was a full-price 3DS game, which would be like $35, $40. It does have more content than this does. Yeah, so, I, I don't know. It's sort of a, a bit nebulous there. I guess I just have to leave it there. But uh, certainly not a, not a bad game. And interestingly, sort of the most you know, traditional game that Umbrella would, would actually produce here. Because you, you talk about some of their uh, their previous games, you know, Hey You Pikachu, Pokemon Channel, My Pokemon Ranch. Those are all very debatable if they even count as games. This one, very much a, a more traditional game. And I think, I don't know, I think that's just kind of the thing I wanted to leave on. Yeah, you're no, as you point that out, the other ones are kind of more of an experience, uh, an experiment, perhaps. Um, but yeah, no, this is like a game with rules that you can win. And probably in that sense, maybe they're most successful of all of them in that in that regard. Yeah, g- given that it's everything else they would make, I guess it must have gotten some traction there. If there's anyone out there who like plays Pokemon Unite competitively, like let us know, because I'm actually kind of interested in that i've seen kind of conflicting reports on people who feel like i don't know like they're getting better at making the game less broken (laughs) and lopsided and and others who are like i don't know kind of like this is stupid you know it's gonna it's gonna go out in time but like i find it really fun to watch so let us know your opinions from the inside 